Hi, this is Anishka Fernandopoli. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button under my picture on dharmaseed.org or go to my website, anushkaf.org, A-N-U-S-H-K-A-F.org, and click on donate. Thanks. I appreciate your support. So we can begin the practice as we have before, grounded in the experience of the body sitting. So just feeling whatever the sensations are of sense of contact with the ground, the floor. Any sense of temperature. Have a sense of the body as a whole sitting Sometimes from that we notice the body breathing. So if it's easy to notice that, you can see wherever that's most apparent to us. Or just rest with the body sitting. We can see if we can have a sense of goodwill towards the body sitting. Sometimes putting a slight smile on the face can help with that. Just gently smiling at this body. This breathing body, this sitting body.
So we talked yesterday about including moods and emotions as we feel them, as energetic waves moving through the body and even in the mind. So today we can also play with including thoughts. So becoming mindful of thought, which is different than sitting and thinking. So this would be knowing when a thought has arisen that a thought has arrived. And in the field of the mind, it could be thoughts coming as images, as uh, sound in the mind, as words. So just practicing being curious about knowing when a thought has arisen in any of these forms that it has arisen. You could even label it, thinking or planning or remembering or image. So not getting pulled into the story of that thought or not proliferating around that image just recognizing that something has come in this field and that it's gone. It's like you might recognize that the bell has rung. It's a sound. You could recognize that there's experience in the mind. So we can play with this a little bit. So I invite you to bring to mind an image of your shoes that you brought here. So notice some image might come and then it will disappear. Maybe there's some accompanying feeling of pleasant or unpleasant or warmth or negativity. It could be also quite neutral. So there a thought of the shoes has arisen and also gone. So the thought of the shoes is different than the shoes themselves. This is shown up in the field of the mind. So now I invite you to think of your address. It might show up as written words or it might have shown up as a sound 
of speaking the address. So either way, this has also come and then gone. So thinking has happened. And this has all happened in the field of the mind. Maybe you had an image also of your house or apartment. Maybe the mind started to think more about your residence and things you want to change about it. So you can notice that that's a chain of thinking that's going on. You can always come back, feel the body sitting, ground in the experience of the breath, the body. So now you can freestyle curiosity about the field of thoughts. So you can keep the attention with the experience of the body sitting. But then keep some sense of curiosity about what's happening in the field of the mind. Notice if something shows up. Notice how now it will show up unbidden, unasked for. Notice how it comes and also how it disappears, also on its own. And if it helps, you could label it thinking, planning, remembering imagining, whatever it is, just to help you frame what that mind object is. We don't need to push it away. We don't need to avoid thinking. But we also don't want to indulge in thinking. Is different than getting on each thought boat or thought train and following it through. So curiosity about this process of thinking.
So with this, you don't need to try too hard. And if it seems to be tiring, just come back, rest with the body. You can let it go for a while. Rising of thought can be a very subtle experience, or sometimes it can be very loud and obvious. So just noticing where the attention is. And if it's in the field of the mind, field of thought, you can just recognize that. It's knowing that thinking is happening.
it helps, you can imagine observing this stream of thought, like observing the floats in the canal pride. So just sitting on the bank and curious, yeah, what's the next boat that's going to come through? What's the next thought boat? Sitting quietly, steadily. No need to strain for it. Resting in the body. And also be curious about the space between thoughts, even if they seem to come rather quickly. It's that space from which they arise, or space in between. See if you can find it. And rest in that.
So sometimes if there's a lot of thoughts, uh, it doesn't seem like they're coming out of the tunnel one by one. It seems like a giant boat traffic jam. (laughs) And then you don't need to try to find each of them. In some ways you could feel what it feels like, the whole proliferation of them. Kind of feel the sense of the energy of a lot of thoughts. And in that way we're still with the process in some way of the arising of thought rather than being swept away in the content of them, which is how we usually are. And sometimes you might fall back and forth between recognizing, okay, thinking is happening, and then getting sucked into it, and then believing it, and, uh, oh, right, thinking, then, okay, sucked in. So in and out of the parade, uh, if you will. So that's okay, too. You could just recognize that and notice how it feels in those different modes, notice what it's like, you know. So this first level is just recognizing that thought is happening. So just in some ways getting the very basics of the uh, field of uh, the mind that there's thought happening. And then then you can start to notice maybe different uh, qualities of thought, different types of thought that come up. So one, as I mentioned, is kind of the verbal or images. You could also notice there are some thoughts that are the thoughts that we might label uh, the past, but everything in the past only exists really as a thought in the present. And then there are thoughts about the future, which also does not exist except for thoughts in the present. Uh, But if it helps to differentiate them, you could do that too, judging, thinking, planning, remembering, like that. And then uh, another level of uh, complexity with it is recognizing there are different, uh, you could say, like underlying qualities of the intention behind thoughts. So some thoughts might be quite neutral. So maybe the one about your shoes was pretty neutral, unless you really love your shoes or hate your shoes, right? Uh, Just the image came, is what it is, and then passed away. But there are some thoughts that uh, could be labeled as uh, very wholesome, like skillful, positive thoughts. So ones of generosity or kindness, sense of goodwill towards others, compassion, uh, this kind of thing. And then there are other thoughts that might come up that are very contracted, and we could label them as uh, unskillful, which means like unconducive to the goal of freedom and ease of being. So it could be uh, like obsessive jealousy or anxiety or uh, hatred, some things like that, that come up. So uh, in either case, we can just recognize them and kind of feel into what each of them is like. So recognize not just thinking is happening, but uh, feel into the sort of intentionality underlying that. And then eventually the practice will lead to actually trying to cultivate the more skillful, wholesome ones, and then trying to let go of the ones uh, that are harmful to ourselves and others. But for now, in the practice, just to notice that there is a thought is good. So that. Also, uh, you could recognize how it manifests in the body. So when a thought has arisen, if you get lost in the thought thinking process, and then you remember at some point, like, oh, right, okay, meditating, okay, thinking, come back. You could notice if there's been a tension that's developed in the body. So you can also feel the thoughts as they manifest in some way. And then, yeah, just try to kind of reset to the body and then you know, continue on.
the thoughts can be very subtle, as I mentioned. So it can be tricky to notice them. And uh, for this reason, primarily, I would recommend, if you want to play with this, to do this in the sitting practice when we're more still. So I'd recommend still in the walking practice to keep it with the experience of the body and the senses, um, just because it can be harder to uh, notice something like thought. But sometimes you might notice when you're doing walking practice, some you know very loud, giant thought has uh, overtaken you. And if so, if you want to investigate that, then you could even stop in the middle of the path, be like, okay, thinking is happening. Kind of label that, feel that. And then as it dissipates, then you could continue walking. So this is a yeah, investigation of the field of the mind, the field of thought. And why is it helpful? So one is that we live in this world of thought so much. You know, we have thoughts, we believe them, and then these worlds get created. And then they collapse, and then another world gets created. And then that collapses. And uh, so a lot of the key to freedom is maybe seeing through this and then understanding how to cultivate the ones that are helpful and how to let go of the ones that are unhelpful as well. And it can be very interesting. You know, it's quite interesting to explore like how the things that we think and that we believe in uh, really create our worlds, you know. And we largely will blame others outside in some way, but like these, these thoughts can immediately immerse ourselves in a heavenly realm or a hell realm until they collapse and then a new one comes, you know. So uh, we live a lot in the field of the mind. And so learning to explore and understand what this world is is very uh, helpful. So I'll see if you have any uh, questions about your practice today, about this exploration or others. And maybe I will first invite uh, those of you who don't have groups today. So if you have a group today, you could ask your question in your group. So, um, And also say about the groups that uh, some people have groups today, and there also will be a couple of groups tomorrow that I'll have. So if you still haven't seen your name, uh, don't fret. There's more to come. But, yeah. What's the difference, or how would you know the difference between an insight and a skillful thought? Mm. Insight and a skillful thought. Yeah, can you give an example of... Uh, Yeah, it's a good, good question. So the, the ones that are compassion or something like that, those would be we put in the skillful, wholesome thought area. But sort of just recognizing something as compassion um, may or may not be an insight in and of itself. But in some ways, if we recognize like uh, something more about sort of the patterning of that, then it could be. So you know, the word insight could be used in different ways. In this realm of you know insight, meditation, capital I, capital M, uh, it's like insights into the um, characteristics, universal characteristics about existence. So including like that everything changes or the uh, nature of uh, the world or things like that. So the first one that you, the, actually the second one that you mentioned is a little bit more like that, that it's like, oh, this is public domain. So that actually is recognizing and not identifying with a particular state, this fear. 
so in some ways that shift from like, oh, I am afraid, this is me, this is mine, to like, oh, public domain. You know, you could say that that could be called an insight. But both of them sound good, so it's good. Okay. Then are insights thoughts? So if I have the insight that, oh, all, all thoughts pass and come and go, yeah. but that in itself is a thought because I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, I'm recognizing that pattern. Right. So uh, insights can come non-verbally or verbally. And they can come non-verbally with a verbal uh, addendum or a caption to them. <laughs> or, yeah, or they can come you know, just like some recognition in some way. And uh, the process of awakening or finding freedom or um, insight is greater than intellectual, right? Because if it was just intellectual, you'd just hear the stuff once and be like, got it, good, <laughs> awaken, right? So, but it doesn't seem to work like that. <laughs> Uh, so there's something else with this, you know, kind of different way of knowing with awareness where insight comes on like a deeper level. Uh, it can also come from listening to the Dhamma. So sometimes hearing something that's true and that like resonating within oneself, uh, that can be, their insight can arise. And then sometimes, you know, it bubbles up into some like, oh, wow, public domain or, oh, yeah, it's true, this, you know. But sometimes it doesn't. The, the trick, though, is that then, even if it comes in a thought form, then sometimes it's sort of like the mind grabs onto that and then is like, wow, that's so cool. I figured that out. That's amazing. I'm going to tell my friends about it. I'm going to write a book, you know. And so I'm like, I had an insight. I can't wait to, you know. So then there becomes a lot of, like, me and mine around the insight. So, yeah, it can be tricky. So the thing is, like, allow that to arise if, if it comes to a verbal level, but then also, uh, you know, let it go. The, the word part of it, let it go, you know. You could, if it's interesting to you, though, like, keep, in some ways this is the investigation part, like, keep applying that. You know, like, if you recognize, oh, a fear of public domain, be like, is everything public domain? Like, what about hunger? Is that public domain? So then use that insight, if you want, explore everything, you know, using that insight in some way, but that's different than thinking about it, you know. So we're using our awareness to continue to learn and deepen that insight, um, but not, like, writing essays about it or something like that. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Okay, good. So, yeah. Um, it gets tricky for me to kind of differentiate or separate, uh, you know, having insight that you may be having an unskillful thought and then kind of like letting that go so it doesn't hurt you or someone else and spiritual bypassing. Yeah. What would be the difference? Yeah, so spiritual bypassing uh, versus letting go of unskillful thought. I think the first thing is recognizing that it's there, you know, because in the spiritual bypassing, um, this refers to sometimes if you're like, uh, I'm a good person and so I don't get angry, right? So then... Anger is like, you know, steam is rising and you're like, I'm not angry, I'm Buddhist, I'm, you know, like something like that. So that's unhelpful. And oftentimes then, like, you know, you manifest that in ways that everyone else can see, but you can't see, right? Uh, so uh, in the spiritual bypassing, we're sort of pretending something's not happening when it's happening. Whereas in this, uh, like, recognition of the unskillful, it's like feeling it. And in some ways, because we feel the burn of it, you know, we can feel the contraction. We can feel how that separates us from others. We can feel how we're like um, kidnapped by that state and like kind of obsessed with it in some way. 
uh, and how, uh, yeah, it's like holding us hostage in some way, you know, so we can feel the unskillfulness of it, then that can be the motivation to learn to let go of it. And even the, the learning to let go, there's a whole lot to be said about that, because it's not just as easy as like, oh, okay, unskillful. A lot of that has to do with then we have to actually feel the suffering of it. You know, we have to actually know very intimately uh, for ourselves the jealousy or obsession or, uh, you know, hatred or whatever it is, so that we understand on a very kind of like cellular level uh, the suffering of it, like that it is unwholesome, why it is unwholesome, you know. And I think as we practice more like this, we can sort of pick it up sooner and sooner, you know, kind of like being able to pick up when it's going to rain, you know, when the rain is coming. It's like, oh, here it comes, you know. So you can feel it sooner and sooner before it's like completely... Uh, like ganged up on you or something like that. But uh, yeah, so you just do your best with it like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So um, this just chant that we do in the evenings is um, like the four Brahma Viharas, which are considered like the divine abodes, so they're wholesome states to cultivate. So they are, uh, the first one uh, is like metta, sort of a general well-wishing, then uh, compassion, so may beings be free from suffering. Then uh, like mudita, which is like a taking happiness in others' happiness. So may you not be parted from good fortune that you have attained. And then yes, so this last one is, uh, it's actually around the state of equanimity. And um, it is a, this, this articulation of it is around karma. So some of the other articulations of it are sometimes, of equanimity are things like, things are as they are, or like, these are like sort of modern versions of this, or, uh, you know, everyone is on their own journey, something like that. And the gist of it you could take is also that, uh, let's say you cultivate this real goodwill for people, a sense of compassion if they're suffering, happiness if they're happiness. Uh, but then there's a part of you that could be like attached to that, is like, I want you to be happy, and I know exactly what the right thing is for you to do to do, you know? <laughs> And especially with the ones we're close to, the ones we love, or, you know, partners, children, like, best friends, you know, you're like, ah, oh, don't do that, uh, you know. So in some ways, this is helping us to recognize, like, all beings are owners of their action and inherit its results, means, like, you are on your own journey. I can love you, I can support you, um, but you will have to make your own decisions and then, you know, reap whatever the results of that are, whether it's uh, doing something skillful or unskillful. So the, the crux of uh, karma is like the intentions behind the actions. So this is like the skillful, unskillful thing uh, leads to certain results. And here's where it says, you know, the, any actions with intentions uh, of whether they're skillful or harmful of su- such acts, you will be the heir. 
So, you know, you, you might think like, oh, I'm going to inherit this or this from my uncle or auntie or <laughs> parents, but, you know, you never know when someone's going to change the will or something like that, right? But uh, when you plant these seeds of uh, karma with our actions, then um, under the correct conditions, uh, like an unwholesome action will only come to fruition if it comes to fruition as something that is difficult. And then uh, you plant the seed of something wholesome and uh, under the right conditions, if that comes to fruition, it will only come to fruition as something uh, positive or wholesome, you could say. Some of this we can see like relatively um, easily in our, our life and some of it we can't see that easily, right? So it's a bit can be a bit complex. Part of the exploration in the practice here in sort of contemplative way is that you can notice even in the moment the suffering or freedom uh, that's available in the mind and in the body from inhabiting these various states. So that's sort of one level of it, right? And then if you speak or act from it, then you're sort of inflicting that or gifting that to whoever you speak or act from. And then that has like further uh, results, you could say. And skillful or harmful, skillful in this, one of the translations of this of skillful, I think, is around, in some ways, just recognizing like skillful for that which we are trying to achieve. So it's not as judgmental as good or evil. The skillful is kind of more in the, some of the metaphors that they use are like a, a carpenter is trying to carve, um, you know, something particular. And so then skillful is to be able to, uh, you know, make the door so it fits in the door jam kind of thing, or, you know, so that it opens and closes without friction. Um, so it's like skillful oriented towards the results of the task that we're aiming for. So here you could say uh, freedom and ease of being, right? There's the orientation. And then recognizing the unwholesome, the difficult, the unskillful of like obsessive jealousy or hatred uh, is actually not orienting towards. Uh, freedom and ease of being for ourselves and then if we vent that on someone else then uh, it's also not conducive for them for that do you want to say anything? (laughs) okay Mm. Yeah, so wanting good for other people and um, you said knowing what is good for them, but you might say like thinking that you know what's good for them, maybe. Right? <laughs> and then uh, complicated when someone has a mental illness, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, in some ways you could say one perspective could be that whenever someone chooses something that is really obviously harmful for themselves or others, in some ways in that moment they have like a mental affliction or a mental illness, you know. And you could think about even when you have done something that you later regret, like harmful to someone else, or even just unthoughtful. You know, in that moment, like your mind was not clear, connected, uh, spacious, like you were not at your best, right? So then that was some of the causality leading to that result of that action. So in some way we could take it a little bit like that, like, okay, someone has a mental illness, then the habitual patterning of their mind is to have this these sort of like 
kind of weather patterns of the mind tend towards ones that are not clear or maybe uh, harmful or something like that, right? Uh, so that's part of the karma of it. So you can still do your best to help them maybe, but, uh, you know, it's difficult when there is that patterning in the mind for sure. And that comes to that sort of equanimity thing. Is like we can do our best to love each other and to try to support each other, but, um, you know, we can't control other people. We can barely control ourselves, right? <laughs> you know. It's hard. It's very hard, right? Like it's, uh, it's difficult for the heart to be with that because we want to help so much and we want to steer people away from doing things that are difficult. And um, I mean, sometimes maybe you could think about times in which uh, if you ever had a period of time in which you were not at your best and were doing maybe stupid things or <laughs> unskillful things or, or actually genuinely harmful things, you know, and maybe there was someone who wanted to help you, tried to help you, who told you stuff, and like, maybe it had an impact, but maybe it didn't. You know, maybe the conditions were not there for you to see that yourself, or for you to listen to them, for you to open to them. You know, uh, maybe it still mattered that someone cared about you. You know, but it didn't at that moment impact your behavior. So this equanimity is kind of recognizing, like, yeah, we are not in control over it all. You know, and. It doesn't mean it's not worth it to care about people and to try to help them, but um, you know, all beings are heirs to their own karma in that way. So then, sometimes compassion is also uh, warranted. You know, like it's difficult if your mind is clouded a lot. You know, like it's very difficult if your mind is um, captured by negativity or if you're living in delusions or paranoia. You know. Yeah, very difficult. So we can have compassion for that being in their mind states, but we also don't have control over it. Yeah. Okay. So maybe uh, we'll have some. Let's see if there's any announcements we have. Um, we have um, some slots for community activity. So we need a bell ringer for a three forty-five sitting, and then also. Uh, I think we need a practice leader for the 11.30 sitting, the job description of which is just to sit here silently and ring the bell to release people for lunch at 12. Uh, So you could sign up on the board if you're willing to do that. And maybe just a plug in general also for, you know, these kinds of things that we do to keep the community going and running. And uh, so on retreat, you're kind of like, okay, I'm doing my practice, sitting, walking, you know, but we're also doing this with everyone else, right? And it would be really hard to do this on your own, like to be like, I'm going to go to my garage and sit there for a week and, you know, <laughs> like sit and walk. So, you know, we really uh, are supported by uh, all of the activities of our friends here, our spiritual friends, our colleagues, and um, the kitchen and all of that. And so then all the work that we do to clean and chop vegetables and all of that is in some ways like part of a community contribution to uh, our efforts here and creating this container for us, our queer uh, lay monastery for the week. Uh, Also, it's a very helpful place to be practicing uh, mindfulness in regular activity, you know, for uh, your work meditation. So the work meditation is usually something that you would also do at home. So I just encourage you to include that equally as practice to uh, the sitting to the walking to so what seems more like the like official uh, activities <laughs> on the schedule. 
so really see it like, uh, yeah, how can I be present with this? How can I just be at ease in doing this? And, you know, you don't need to do it super slowly, but it's like being present, like when chopping, just chop, when sweeping, just sweep, when cleaning. Be fully, fully present in that with your full attention and dignity if you can. And then notice when you depart and come back again. So this will serve you well when you go home, when you will have to do these things at home too. And I always notice when I come home from retreat, like I notice different things in my apartment that need to be cleaned, and I clean them with better, uh, <laughs> higher quality cleaning and better vigor. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, the, the benefits uh, could be great. <laughs> At uh, this point of the retreat, it's more or less the midpoint. Somebody knows by the minute <laughs> where we are at <laughs> in the retreat, but I would say generally midpoint of the retreat, uh, in the heart of the retreat. Um, often notes start to uh, accumulate uh, or multiply on the board. So I would like to uh, just uh, reset the, the, the understanding here that notes are really for things that are uh, ex- extremely important, you know, for your... So we're practicing together renunciation, we're practicing silence. So some of the questions then we sit with, some of the things that uh, we experience, we have to... We're given the opportunity to find the answers, the way to hold uh, this. So um, just inviting you to be careful with the, the, the use of the note. And sometimes there's something, some of basic agitation like oh people are seem to be writing notes there's notes going by M- me too i want to participate this must be something i want to share with, with somebody somewhere you know so so let's be uh, careful with this and we're doing well we're doing well um, so we come here as an affinity group huh? we call these uh, affinity retreats you know so lgbtq People come together to sit. It's a really good thing because, uh, you know, uh, as not part of the dominant groups in many ways, it's good for us to, to be uh, together in, uh, uh, in this way. So inside of the regular retreats and uh, inside of this retreat also here, we'll uh, uh, offer an, a particular opportunity. So in the regular um, I mean, this is a regular retreat in one of the, in the retreats that happen here at IMS. Sometimes we'll do uh, affinity sits during the retreat. So at some point in the day, um, for those who want and who identify with the affinity group, they're, uh, they're able to go and sit together with that little group of being in room uh, 200 above here. And so at 3.45 today, uh, we're going to offer the possibility for people who uh, identify as trans or uh, gender non-conforming or non-binary, if you uh, identify a part of this group and would like to sit with others who self-identify in the same way, you're actually welcome to uh, go to the 345 sit. It's a silent sit. So it's going to be a small group of people sitting together in silence. And... Uh, to offer particular support uh, in, uh, 
you know, because here there's a dominance, I, I think, of uh, cis people, cisgendered people. And so that's something that uh, uh, we s might feel supportive uh, for you to do. And for the dominant group is a really beautiful gesture of uh, uh, inclusion, uh, recognition. Uh, um, yeah, so I'll leave you to reflect on this in uh, your own way. Uh, at 6.30 tonight, also, uh, if you identify as a person of color, racialized being, uh, and you want to sit um, in this affinity group, you could go up at 6.30 and have that particular four, uh, 30 minutes, I think, sitting in silence uh, uh, with your people, if it feels like this, uh, in this way, you know. Uh, yeah, so that's, uh, I think that's something uh, quite uh, delicate in many, many ways, but that is worth actually uh, bringing, uh, bringing up and creating the conditions uh, conditions for um, as a cis uh, uh, white uh, male I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm happy to think that some people would benefit from that and I know that not uh, everyone uh, um, maybe want that or need that or resonate in this way they want to explore uh, being here in this way but uh, um, and so my experience has been on the retreats sometimes uh, that I've sat on, where it's been offered. I found it uh, extremely uh, um, supportive, healing, uh, meaningful, touching to sit uh, for a few minutes with uh, LGBTQ people in a retreat where, uh, you know, the heteronorm is uh, very, very present. You know, and so, uh, and so I invite you to notice what moves in your system as I'm presenting these ideas. You know, maybe you're triggered, maybe uh, you're grateful, maybe you're numb, confused, uh, uh, tender, uh, or something else. And so it's the it remains in a way the same practice. We notice, oh, this is what's arising here. Uh, in this being here. And uh, also it's a way to name what's happening uh, between us here. You know, that uh, uh, there are ways that it's uh, challenging to be in a, uh, in a place like this here, even in the L inside the LGBTQ uh, community uh, for some of us. Okay, can that be okay? Let's see how it uh, unfolds in the community and in the hearts. Okay, and now uh, walking uh, for some of us and for some of us, uh, group meetings. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.